0: what makes food black seriously there are many names we give to categorize and to define the edible things we grew up eating and continue to consume african-american cuisine southern cooking soul food and subconsciously There are value judgments we give to those dishes and snacks relative to their level of blackness. While it can easily be dismissed as a matter of taste and therefore a moving target, there is a foundation of ideas that establish what does and doesn't make food familiar to black families. Food has a special place in African American history and therefore American history from its origins predating the founding of the United States to the language we use to explain this special relationship. There are those memories we connect to our grandmothers, mothers, aunts and uncles who slaved over a hot stove in the kitchen or creatively split oil drum barrels to turn them into backyard barbecue pit smokers. And that's just at home. Then there are the restaurants, Mainly, but not always Black-owned, those restaurant favorites which cater to our interests and the new ones we have yet to discover, highlighted during special times like Black Restaurant Week and placed in the spotlight using smartphone apps like the Black-owned Eat Okra. So today, we feast on local soul food, make food at home, and talk about the history of Black restaurants, In this first in the series, we will answer the question, what makes food black? I'm Valerie Johnson, and this is Interludes. Interludes, a pure lighthouse production, brought to you by A1 Pestmasters, For all your exterminating and pest control needs, call A1 Pestmasters. And now, all the way live from the south side of Chicago, give it up for your host, Valerie Johnson. Yeah, I went there. It's 2021, people. Sisters, brothers, we don't have to eat that anymore. Let's tell the truth and shame the devil. And defy the myth, y'all. If you are what you eat, chitterlings can't stay on the menu any longer. Besides... Now, if you don't know chitterlings are literally the small intestines of a pig and gives off a smell even worse than that to be eaten they have to be cleaned and soaked and then there's this aroma that's as if the walking dead show had smell-o-vision every time my mom or my aunt or some relative would bring this bucket of pig intestines into the house for us to eat i was thinking why am I eating an organ that carries the waste of a pig? There's not enough hot sauce in the world that's gonna make chitterlings taste like some type of delicacy or even food. Yet when I step back, I understand where the thinking came from. To eat everything on the pig, from the head to the tail, or as I used to say, from the ruta to the tuta. Waste not, want not. There is a talent to make food taste delicious, or at least edible, even that. But it's 2021. It's time to stop limiting ourselves. It's time to focus on how the food we eat also has served to define us, sometimes stereotype us. It's time to define and redefine ourselves. To do so, we need to look back at the black history of food. And we have to be honest about the place many of us find ourselves today. I remember visiting my dad in the suburbs outside of Chicago several months before he died. We went to the Golden Arches. He ordered that double burger, fries, and a 32-ounce sweet tea. Dad, I said to him, don't you have diabetes? And he told me, I'll never forget, if I'm going to die, I'm going to die happy. Is this how we've come to define a happy meal? Honestly, what my dad had to choose from outside of Chicago was no worse than what was inside of my city, and probably your city too. Since the city grew so segregated due to redlining and other economic discrimination, you can tell when you enter different neighborhoods by the restaurants and grocery stores at your left and right. Drive down a street and the Taquerias and the supermercados tell you about the neighborhood. Keep driving and when you see red and shiny yellow hip roof buildings with signs offering buffet style dining, vegetable rolls and fortune cookies, that tells you about the neighborhood. But enter a black community and what you are most likely to see, golden arches, chicken shacks, and liquor stores. And by now, we know the consequences of eating those foods cooked that way. It's always been done. If not, let me remind you, diabetes, hypertension, high blood pressure, gout. A sit-down restaurant that serves non-fast food is such a jewel, a precious thing. The search to find these culinary unicorns has become a business unto itself. Enter Eat Okra, a new smartphone app designed to help us all locate Black-owned restaurants in your city. Hi guys, I'm Valerie Johnson and welcome to Interludes. On today, I would love to introduce you to two of the co-founders of the Eat Okra app, Anthony Edwards and Janique Edwards. We're doing great.
1: Yes. Thank you so much, Valerie, for having us.
0: Wonderful. Quick question. Where did the idea come from to start Eat Okra?
2: Yeah, so the idea really came from really an organic need for Anthony and myself. When we moved out to Brooklyn, Um, we didn't really know much about the area. So we wanted to support businesses in our area and we went, you know, online and did some searching for black owned businesses. And we were able to kind of piece together all these different lists. Um, And Anthony at the time, well, he's a developer and at the time he wanted to build an app. So he was bugging me about what he should build at the time. And I was like, you should build an app that makes finding black owned businesses super simple, super easy. And initially we wanted to tackle all industries but we settled on food because we felt like food was something that was galvanizing. It brought people together and everybody needs to eat. So it was practical
0: as well. Wow! And why eat okra rather than any other name?
1: <laughs> yes, eat okra is a nod to our heritage. I'm, my family roots are from the South, um, Louisiana, and Janique's is from South Carolina. So eat okra was also a plant that was, or a seed brought over during the slave trade. So there's a lot of like cultural significance to it. And we just wanted to pay homage to our, our heritage.
0: Wonderful, wonderful. Due to the pandemic, have you seen a spike in downloads and activity?
2: Hmm. Um, definitely. Yeah, definitely. I think last year around this time, we were sitting on about 20,000 downloads. Mm-hmm. And right now we're close to 300,000. So that's, our what like...
1: It's like a 4,000% 4, 4, increase <laughs> right. in uh, app usage and, wow. and downloads and us... Amplifying Black businesses to people who were really looking to support Black Black restaurant owners or find Black cuisine.
0: Wow! And and recently, Google has started a TV advertising blitz to highlight its ability to direct diners to find Black-owned businesses. Do you feel like this is a response to the early success of your app? You know, before the pandemic.
2: Um, I don't think we're that big to say. <laughs> <laughs>
0: I would
1: love that. But no, I, I think they just, everybody has good intentions and in, in different corporations and are all figuring out a way to help. Right. Um, right now we've partnered or collaborating with Apple Guides, with their Apple Maps program. And we create guides for, in different cities or nationally for people to find Black-owned listings.
0: Which is yeah. important.
2: We've also partnered with Pepsi on their Dig In campaign, which is really aimed at amplifying and You know, just rallying people around the idea of supporting Black restaurants right now. Right. Um, And also we partner with Uber Eats as well on, you know, some initiatives that they have. One of them being a pop-up series that, you know, is is helping uh, Black businesses or Black-owned businesses um, survive the winter months, right? Uh, right? So, you know our first series uh our first pop-up se- uh launched in harlem i'm sorry oh. launched in harlem so the, you know uber and a few other of our partners worked together to build these parklets for outdoor dining and yeah,
1: safe covid free outdoor dining experiences right. but the second one gearing up gearing up in a few weeks in washington dc
0: Excellent. Yes, because I feel like eat okra would be great for all major cities, and I I, I would welcome that for Chicago definitely. I'm just <laughs> oh, we're we're, <laughs> we're
1: working on that, and we're and we're in uh, pretty much most major cities right now. So yeah. we have sixty seven hundred restaurants across the country listed on our app.
0: Yeah, wonderful, wonderful. Well, and you mentioned Uber Eats. What makes you all different than Uber Eats or like say a Grubhub?
1: Yeah, so we don't complete the last mile part of it. We're not a delivery platform. Okay. We're basically, we list, we're the directory piece of it, and we make it so that you can order through Uber Eats quicker. So you find a restaurant on on our app, if it's, you know, you see their delivery partners, you click a button and then you're in that delivery app and you place your order without having to search.
0: Oh, okay, that's that's excellent. How does Eat Okra offer users that especially make the app so valuable what do you guys make what what makes it so valuable to users
2: um i think it's really the fact that it's super unique um i think you know eokra is something that prior to you know 2016 when we launched it i don't think there was any other platform that specifically uh you know highlighted or amplified or made it super easy for people to find specifically Black-owned restaurants. You know, there were other platforms that existed that focused on everything, but not just specifically Black-owned restaurants. And you know, the community has really been, you know, really supportive and has really kind of powered the platform in a way. Most of the listings that we have on our platform are submitted by our users. So people are recommending restaurants to us daily um, to have you know those restaurants added on the platform because they see the importance of it.
1: Yeah, and I would add that um... When you travel, what do we ask each other? When you when you visit a family member, what where are the places to eat? Mm-hmm. You know, Janique always says we look for food that's familiar to us. So right. for us, when we go to like Oakland, it's like where is the best best barbecue? Mm-hmm. You know, and Eat Okra is that platform that allows you to find familiar food and comfortable food.
0: Wow, and and speaking of comfortable food, I'd love for both of you to individually answer. How would you define soul food?
1: Ooh, good question. (laughs) Uh, I would say food, you know, cooking with love, cooking with family, cooking for family. Um,
2: Yeah, one word that comes to mind for me is definitely family. Um, Some of my fondest memories have been shared over food with family, preparing food with family, you know, my grandmother, my mom, my aunts in the kitchen sharing food, you know, for holidays and things like that. So I would I would define soul
0: food as, as family. Wow. And where do you see Eat Okra in the next five, 10 years?
1: Wow, that's a big jump, five to 10 years. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, we, we really want to be that go-to app for all things Black food. Mm-hmm. We want to be international. We want to make sure we're hiring people and having staff and really supporting the community outside of food and beverage also. Right. Um,
2: we want a vacation.
1: <laughs> <laughs> yeah, we want to provide opportunities and generational wealth. We want to make sure that we have, we'll have tangible results that's affecting the community in a positive way. For individual operators and you know our family.
0: Wow, um, and that's that's amazing. You guys are a, a beautiful husband wife team. I'm so excited that you guys got a chance to come on and share, uh, Anthony and Janique. If someone wanted to find Eat Okra app, where would they go?
1: They would go <laughs> to go to your app store, type in Eat Okra in the search, and we should be first go to www.eatokra.com or on our social media apps, app.
0: Wonderful. Anthony, Janique, thank you so very much for coming on. And thank you for talking to my audience. We're letting everybody know if you want soul food or any uh, black restaurant you want to support in your major uh, metropolitan areas, Please download the app and support this beautiful couple.
2: The okra seed is our symbol. It's a visual representation of our story, our food, and our culture. Black entrepreneurs have always existed. We've always been innovators. This isn't anything new.
0: What Eat Okra manages to do is gather the information about those well-seasoned spots sprinkled in strip malls, converted storefronts, and even skyscrapers that serve Caribbean cuisine and soul food. As a labor of love, the Edwards seem to be an example of black history in the making. Being stuck at home, if you've been keeping safe, can make you feel like a tourist in your own city. It can make you both long for familiar foods and want to branch out to taste somebody else's cooking. Now, if you happen to be technologically challenged, someone who still prints out their directions rather than using GPS, the second city may have the help you need. Since the start of February, Black-owned restaurants in Chicago have been raising their visibility through their annual celebration of the oddly named Chicago Black Restaurant Week, which started February 7th and runs through February 21st. Started by local media legend Lawrence Smith in 2016, The week is designed to promote Black-owned businesses. The restaurants have partnered with Uber Eats to take customer orders. Typically, restaurants are crowded on Valentine's Day weekend. Uh, Not this year. Not even close. In Chicago, due to Phase 4 COVID-19 restrictions, restaurants remain at a 25-person capacity limit. Half of their 50-person cap they're requesting from city officials. For now, that seems unlikely. This year's menu of Restaurant Week participants serves both as a lower-tech collection of places where you can order food as it is a post-pandemic survivor's list. Both locally and nationally, COVID-19 killed off restaurants as well as the indoor dining experience. And here's where an app like Eat Okra serves as a constantly updated Wikipedia part and part green book listing for our present time. The last thing you want to do is come to somebody's soul food restaurant and find raisins in their macaroni and cheese or confusion over whether it's salt or sugar that goes bets with grits. First, there is the name which serves as an homage to okra. Okra is not indigenous to the United States. It's from Northeast Africa, all the way across the Atlantic Ocean. The word itself comes from a West African Ashanti word. Quite plainly, okra was brought here by our African ancestors who had been sold or captured in ironclad chains, enslaved. Here at their worst moment, okra, was a little piece of home that survived the bloody journey from the motherland to America, made over and over, until that indignity was finally outlawed. In this way, okra is, at its essence, soul food. Secondly, as a vegetable, it served as a basis for Ethiopian and other African-rooted stews. According to some food historians, Slave traders may have encouraged these bound men and women to take okra with them to maintain their familiar diet. After all, no one would want to buy weak or sickly slaves. Finally, as a vegetable, okra thrived in sunny, warm, and humid places like the American South, especially those newly established colonies like Virginia, the Carolinas, and a French-controlled outpost called New Orleans. Uh, Oh, oh, I'm sorry, excuse me, New Orleans, where it became a base for a stew known by its veggie Cajun name, gumbo. To my taste, okra is uh, kinda slimy. You've got to wash it. It can produce this weird aroma. If you're not going to blend it in with other vegetables, mix it with crab and shrimp and rice, the best thing to do is fry it like you would with mushrooms or green tomatoes and though it's not my favorite among the african diaspora of foods okra still beats the heck out of chitlins it's interesting that the edwards decided to recall the role of okra in black history it greatly contrasts the use of chitterlings in our dietary history and the way the food has been used to stereotype us. Anthony Edwards has compared Eat Okra to a modern day green book, a reference to the historical guide created and used by African Americans to safely map out their travels through the more racist and hostile regions of the American South during the 1930s to the mid 1960s, where only a handful of restaurants might serve Negroes. Of course, As a stranger driving into an unfamiliar place, knowing where you could eat without a fear of being shot or lynched was invaluable. This was the kind of information the Green Book provided. A different term was commonly used to notify entertainers, singers, musicians, dancers and comedians where their talents were welcomed in the American South. This network of segregated clubs, theaters, and dance halls was called the Chitlin Circuit. This week, Tennessean journalist Matthew Lemwiniker wrote about the power of the Chitlin Circuit in his article, The Roaring Nights That Shape American Music. This article was published in USA Today, February 8th, on the eve of the opening of the new National Museum of African American Music, and downtown Nashville. The journalist wrote, The circuit was named after chitterlings, a dish prepared from hog intestines, some view as second class. Yet, there was nothing second class about the music made in those rooms. Then sometimes the article reveals through a first-hand account from blues legend Bobby Rush, the circuit was appropriately named. Beginning quote, Sometimes you play for chitlins, and that's what you would get, End quote, says Rush, the self-described king of the chitlin circuit, beginning quote, We played so well in Argo, Illinois, not Chicago. A suburb of Chicago, the guy gave us two plates of chitlins and four hamburgers. We ate one chitlins, we sell the other at 35 cents, and we sell hamburgers for 25 cents i'd make a dollar 25 or a dollar 35 on my hamburgers every night despite its obvious drawbacks this collection of venues provided a place for black artists to receive the love and support from black audiences in need of jokes or jute joint jams call it chitlin music once again Black creativity has a way of redefining what it means to be funky. How we... We the we the How... As a child growing up on the south side of Chicago for as long as I can remember, my mom grew a garden every summer until I was about a young adult. We would go to the local garden stores and buy starter plants for corn and tomatoes and package seeds for herbs cucumbers, and the like. My mom would also have a wired mini fence protecting the vegetables from small squirrels and dogs. She wasn't alone. A whole generation of people her age did the same. They didn't have names like urban farming. It was authentic for a southerner like my mom to raise a garden in a city like Chicago. On a much smaller scale, ladies like my mom are the foundation of wonder programs like the Urban Growers Collective, a non-for-profit co-founded by Laurel Sims and Erica Allen to beginning quote, support communities in developing systems of their own, where food is grown, prepared and distributed with the community itself, end quote. The group has eight urban farms on 11 acres of land, predominantly located on Chicago's south side. It also has a fresh mobile market that provides people with a chance to get healthy organic food in the shadows of the ubiquitous golden arches and the 32-ounce processed drinks. Growing up, my mother taught me how to grow my own vegetables, preserve certain veggies in mason jars, and have enough vegetables to last through our trying winters back in the day. I remember how bumblebees and other wild insects found a home in my backyard while my mom grew wild rose bushes. She would carefully cut roses from the bush and have them beautify our kitchen and dining room tables. This episode is a rose to my mom, my dad, and to you on this Valentine's Day week. In fact, my mother's name was Rose. I hope that it reminds you to feed yourself and those you love with food for the soul. I'm Valerie Johnson, and this is Interludes. Next time on Interludes, soul food author Adrian Miller on the culinary contributions of African-Americans in our communities and in the White House on the next Interludes. Interludes, original concept by Valerie Johnson, written by Michael Womble, produced by Valerie Johnson and Michael Womble. Original intro and outro music produced by Kendall Nesbitt. Interludes, a pure lighthouse production. Brought to you by A1 Pestmasters. For all your exterminating and pest control needs, call A1 Pestmasters at area code 773-365-9962 or visit their website at a1pestmasters.com. When you book your appointment with A1 Pestmasters, tell them that you heard it first on the podcast called Interludes. And coming soon, the Interludes YouTube channel.